nobody believed in me, including myself when I was younger. You know, I was going through, I was going through mental health difficulties. You've got to believe that you're there to win it. If you go into a World Cup thinking, oh, well, you know, a quarterfinal is, is good or to get further than we've ever got before, booey, no. Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. Can you do me a favor and can you please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts? Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to welcome Brent Pope, a best-selling author, a rugby analyst, a mental health advocate, a charity founder, an entrepreneur, and one of the most recognizable New Zealanders living in Ireland. Thanks for that kind introduction. Uh, and funny enough, uh, you know, when you say, when you start off and say the kind of most recognizable faces, actually, since I've been over in Ireland over 30 years, I'm often mistaken for other people in Irish society, whether I look I look like them or not, or whether or not for some reason they get them mixed up because I'm on TV. Because when I first come over, people were, well, of, of a generation, people thought I was a, a, a boxer. I think his name was Mel Crystal or something going oh, yes. back. And so people used to stop me on the buses and say, oh, you know, will you sign this autograph, Mel, or something? I, I didn't know. Then it moved on to Charlie Redmond. Oh, yeah. uh, in the GAA days, people used to say, go on, Charlo, when I walked down the street after Dubs had played a match. I just used to wave out and say, if, if they think I'm him, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, then it moved on to Johnny Logan uh, oh. for a while. And then the funniest thing that happened, in, in 2019, I was asked to go out and speak at Carton House with the Irish team train um, to talk about mental health, not to the players, but to construction workers who were de- doing a uh, working on a project out there. So I got out of the car at the Carton House, and um, there was there was a woman going out for a walk with her little poodle, and she walked past me and she kind of looked me up and down and sort of recognised me. She came back and she put a hand rather tenderly on my arm and she said, "Now, good luck for the World Cup, Joe," and. Her husband was walking behind and he went red, embarrassed. And he said, oh, my God. He said, I have to apologize. He said, I'm so embarrassed. He said, my wife knows nothing about rugby. And he said, I tried to tell her, that's not Joe Schmidt, it's Warren Gatton. (laughs) (laughs) I had to say, no, no. Can't I just be recognized for myself? Yeah, yeah. I I suppose I should take those as compliments uh, because those people have all been successful in their own right. But... It's just either I have a, a particular type of face or I think it's a lot to do with the grey hair. I think with yeah. Johnny Logan and Warren Gatlin, <laughs> and that, they've probably got grey hair. And, you know, especially with Gatty, they hear the accent and think yeah, yeah. Warren Gatlin at one time. <laughs> Brent, we, we spoke off, uh, off air briefly and you mentioned that you've, you've packed a lot into your life 
it's been a very eventful life. Most people will know you from your analysis on the television for rugby, part of the you know renowned trio Conor O'Shea, George Hook, and yourself, along with uh, Tom McGurk. And um, but you've been so you've been so varied, and you've you've done so many things. Um, I, I, I you know in the start I mentioned all the things you've done. Um, you came over here thirty years ago playing rugby. Did you ever think? that you would be where you are now, writing books, writing mental health books for children, a mental health advocate, uh, a shirt and shoe designer. It's just, it's just been the most amazing career. Well, to be honest, I, you know, and, and, and somewhat sadly, I mean, you know, my work in mental health, I, you know, when you pose that question to me, it's actually quite emotional because there was a time when I wouldn't even thought I would have made it to Ireland, you know. Uh, that I would have, uh, I was in a very dark place before I came to Ireland, and I didn't know whether, you know, in fact, I would see, I would see the next day. But, you know, part of my, part of my journey has been, you know, going back to my teenage years, I was always known as Project Pope. I always had to do something, you know, and and I, what I'm most proud of is that those things that I had to do weren't often the stereotypical things for people to do you know like I always tried to I always tried to be my own person and that even went back to say my early days you know with sort of writing kids books and that which wasn't the thing to do for rugby players because you were seen as being sort of macho and, and having to live in that world and I was never about that so most of my friends even at school some of them were, were played sports and played rugby others were in bands, others were artists. So I had an eclectic sort of, I suppose, background of, of, of really enjoying what people did from other walks of life. So that said about my journey to kind of, I don't, from my own point of view, to sort of deconstruct what a rugby playing New Zealander should be about. And I wanted it to be about a lot of things, including at a later stage mental health advocacy, but most importantly in those days just to be a little bit different, you know, mm -hmm. the way that I dressed even, you know, going to rugby training. I went to a, a, a sort of a rugby university and everybody dressed the same way. And I'd arrive at training looking like something out of Dixie Midnight Runners or something with rolled up trousers and sort of trendy, trendy gear. So I always loved clothes and I always loved music and I always loved um, things that were a bit different. I mean, rugby wasn't my only sport. You know, I was a good horseman. I loved animals. And, you know, so I suppose that sent me on a journey for the rest of my life and just giving things a go, really. You know, I, I've done a lot of things, as you say, and I was just funny, I was just talking to, to you before, and I said I was just going out for a walk the other day, and I just thought, yeah, you've really crammed a lot into your life, Brent. And, and you know, that's not an egotistical thing to say. I'm not saying it for that I ever did anything for recognition. I didn't. I did it because I enjoyed it. And it mm. certainly didn't come with bags of money or anything like that. I just thought, okay, I'd like to write a book for, for, for kids or whatever and end up writing, publishing six or seven, published an autobiography in 2012. Then I wanted to write another book around mental health. So I did all that. I was on TV playing the clarinet and singing and, and, and those sorts of things because, again, I thought, I can do this. You know, same when I'd set up my shirt and shoe brand, I sort of thought, you know, I'm wearing I'm wearing all these other people's clothes on TV, getting them free advertising, whatever. You used to have 
I suppose brands come to you and say, look, would you wear this shirt on TV or will you wear this suit on TV? And and then I thought, you know, I could design my own shirts. Why can't I? So, yeah. you know, and it's not about actually you're a, you have a financial background. It's never been about money. I've never been about money. I know people can say, oh, yeah, but I, I, I know that make, what's makes a lot of people tick. I've never been about that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I get I get by with what I have to do. I'd rather enjoy doing something than than the financial, I suppose, rewards that it brings. Now that's easy for me to say because I, I suppose I don't have it. You know, that's probably a regret. I don't have a family. I'm not married, so I can probably live on the smell of an oily rag if I have to. You know, so. But I I've never been about that. I've, I've been about trying to trying to find what I enjoy, and now later in life finding what my purpose is, I suppose. You've had success in several different fields. What trait or skill do you think is kind of innate in you that has been that has made you uh, be able to achieve success in many different facets of life? Yeah, I think I think because I was I suppose in a sense I suppose I felt I felt that really nobody believed in me including myself when i was younger you know i was going through i was going through mental health difficulties you know panic attacks at an early age i was a always a very anxious child um i never believed in myself i i i you know when rugby teams were being announced i'd think oh well they won't select me even though people would tell me you're a good player when i was i remember the first few years in school were difficult for me because you know, I, I I was creative, but I wasn't probably scholastically really bright. Even though I ended up going to university with 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 a couple, on a couple of scholarships and that. Once I got some confidence in that I can do this, I think that was kind of. And I had ethics that my parents taught me, which which was hard work. You know, and I know that's an old cliche, but I mean, I did work hard on everything I did, including playing rugby. I would push myself as as a trainer. I remember when I'd be going out running, I'd be saying, I've got to do more miles than the next person. You know, what I would think that he's doing, I'd say, I just need to train harder. So there was a lot of that, the same as the media work. I, I put a lot of work into, you know, creating the knowledge that I would have around players, around games. So it's a bit about uh, uh, hard work, but I think they're the kind of cliched things I, for me, it, it'll sound stupid, maybe, or maybe it doesn't. But I wanted to do things I was proud of. I think, I think that played a huge part in my life. I wanted to be proud of my achievements, you know, rather than just say, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a means to an end, you know, it's a means of getting on the property ladder, it's a means of, of doing something. I wanted to be proud of whatever I've done, and that's sort of all intertwined with, with my mental health work and so that I can look back on my life and say, yeah, I was proud that I did that. I was proud that I gave it a go because I think sometimes looking to pride and looking to do something you're proud of, it takes over everything because the people that I've met that have made lots of money and it's easy, again, it's easy to say people will sort of, you know, suppose cry crocodile tears, but I've found a lot of people, even when I went back and trained as a, as a psychotherapist and saw a lot, you know, saw a lot of clients when I was counseling. Money didn't make anybody happy. 
Mm. You know, for a while, yes, maybe, you know, to have that different type of lifestyle. But that sometimes came with its own problems. Sometimes friends that they'd had for years, suddenly they came into money. Suddenly they didn't, you know, roll in the same social circle, thought they were better than anybody else. And, you know, it, it, it brought its own set of problems. Now, that's easy to say because people are on the poverty line here, and I, and, and I, and I get that, and, and living very difficult lives where they had to be like my father and go out and work three or four jobs. So success means different things to different people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. I Absolutely. mean, you know, and I think I think sport has lost a bit of that in a way, John. I think you know, especially looking on my upbringing, you know, you'd have paid a million dollars to wear an All Black jersey. You know, it 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 meant that much. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't mean as much to players, but now when the game turned professional. It's a bit like football. You get players, you know, where, where's the loyalty anymore? You know, I understand mm. players go for a better contracts and, and more money and they go to France and Japan and all that, but they lose something in that too, you know. They lose that kind of value, that pride. That's what I talk about, that pride, that pride of playing a sport for your country at any level, the pride of pulling on a black jersey at any level, the, the pride of singing your national anthem. That can't be bought, you know, mm-hmm. it can't be bought. Yeah, it's funny, and there's been so many changes in the world of golf and soccer, and the the influx of money. Um, and I know that there has been influx of money in in France and Japan, but you wonder how how long it will be before maybe the likes of Saudi money starts infiltrating into rugby, and you know maybe you have these these super clubs being created like you have in the Saudi Pro League or in the English Premier League, you know. You have been unbelievably honest about your your mental health, and I I think to be honest with you, um, have have broken down so many barriers, um, for for Irish males especially. How how proud are you of the work that you've done in the area of mental health? Yeah, that's a really. I know it's another cliche. It's a really it's a really good question because. Pride, when I talked about pride and other things, areas of my life, pride doesn't come into it for, for my mental health. Uh, unfortunately, yes, unfortunately, I'm still not at a stage where I can proudly look back on what I've done. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Um, it's kind of, for me, it's it it it, it, it sort of it wouldn't transcend, transcend pride because how can you do that? What I decided years ago, John, was that I didn't want somebody else to go through what I'd gone through. I didn't want somebody else to be sitting in a room uh, alone, frightened, uh, not knowing what was going on, no help. I didn't want somebody else to live that life. And people could have looked at me from the outside looking in and said, oh, well, isn't Brent popular around town? You know, doesn't he have a lovely partner? Doesn't he have, you know, isn't he educated? All these things. Yes, I had all those. But mental health or mental health difficulties is just misunderstood. You know, that's all it is because people don't expect you to have problems when you do have problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And I carried all that guilt and, and shame around that. Guilt because I was constantly told, I, oh, you know, what should you be worried for? Life is good. And and that was the guilt part that I carried. And then the shame was that I could be physically fit, but I couldn't be mentally fit. And and 
I couldn't tie the thread between being one of the physically fittest rugby players in New Zealand at one stage to being very mentally unfit. And I, I just didn't get it. So I, I kept crucifying myself to say, Brent, you know, you know, fix it, fix it, fix it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I couldn't. So from that day on, I declared that I would do anything that I could, even though it's putting myself under a vulnerable situation often. And it still doesn't get any easier for me when I'm out there talking, uh, you know, as even doing something t- t- today on, on the television. And I find myself suddenly transported back to those days where I feel very vulnerable. I feel very judged. I feel all these things. Maybe I shouldn't. But that's just my defense mechanism that I suddenly go back into that young man that was so scared. And, and, and But what overrides that is the work that I do to try to, to appeal to anybody out there like me, anybody, man, woman, or child that is in a dark place or in a, is a lonely place or all these things that affect their mental health, to please just seek help, to reach out. I've lost too many friends and colleagues over the years that we haven't been able to save, that didn't reach out um, and lost their lives by taking their own lives. And it's devastating. It's devastating for families. It's devastating for partners they leave behind and families they leave behind. It's devastating. Yet we're we're still losing too many people every year. And we see all these, we see the, all these awareness campaigns for, for drink driving and smoking and all the, I get it, I get it. But where are we putting the emphasis on looking after your mental health? So many businesses come back to me and say, Brent, you know, we're doing a lot in our business. We put a new cycle track in last year. We put a new gym in. You know, we're making sure people are hydrated and we're putting table tennis tables. But I said, you just don't get it. What about those people at work that are suffering in silence, that don't want to actually go to the gym, that don't want to go for run because that's all tying it back to what I know. That's all tying it back to the physical. Mm. So what I do is because it means anything, anything else that I've done in my life. Uh, what means the most to me is if somebody comes up to me on the streets and says, Brent, I listened to your talk and it, it saved my life at one stage or, or it saved a family member's life because what could be more important on this world, for me, what could be more important than that? Uh, so that's why I do it. It's not easy. And sometimes I come away from those kind of talks or those meetings and I roll up into a ball and I'm back to a scared 18-year-old again or whatever, and I just say, why do I do it? And then I just have to remind myself why I do it because, you know, it's 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 for the good of other people and 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 hopefully if somebody is listening in somewhere or somebody passes on the message, look, if Brent can do it and do it in public, then you sure as hell can get on the phone to a GP or a family member or a friend and say, hey, you know, I, I need a bit of help here. And that's why that I'm doing that elephant in, 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 in the room project now, because everybody has an elephant job. Mm. Everybody has something in their life going on at any one time that they don't feel comfortable talking about, whether it's a gender issue, whether it's racism, whether it's bullying, whether it's body dysmorphia, whatever it is, that's your elephant. Mm. What I'm trying to say to people is recognize your elephant, but then talk about it or open up about it. If you're lonely, talk to someone. 
-hmm. You know, if you're without hope, talk to someone because they may give you that hope. Somebody mm -hmm. may make you feel less lonely. Somebody may t tell you something good about yourself, that picture, whatever that is. In my world and, and plenty more, look, a problem shared is a long way to being a problem halved. And that, that runs through for everything that's affecting our mental health. But we just don't, we ignore it, you know. I don't say we, I say, you know, plenty of people ignore it until it's too late. They don't think it's going to happen to them. You know, they don't think they're going to have mental health difficulties. And then suddenly, bang, something happens in any one minute, hour, week of, of their lives, and suddenly they're thrown into it, and they don't have the resources. They don't have the resource to change. They don't know how to deal with it. And how are you today, would you say? Today is the 21st of August, 2023, if that's not too trite of a question. But it, it, is it obviously a work in progress? But, you know... When you've trained in the area and you have so many, I suppose, tools yeah. at your disposal, has has that made things easier? Not really. Uh, you know, I, 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 unfortunately, I've been dealing with a with a, a a kind of a physical illness for the last few years, and and it's become chronic now. So, you know, basically. Every day when I wake up, I, I you know, I, I, I'm in pain, and I, I, you know, so that that is very hard too because it after a while you know <laughs> dealing with physical chronic illness i suppose is difficult on your mental health too then you're right then i just have to apply the i have to apply the processes that i know about gratitude about you know empathy and you know looking at looking at each day when i wake up and saying okay you know, I, I, I th th this is a day I'm, 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 I'm still here. You know, I'm still in a bit of hot fight. Look, I know I'm realistic. You know, I sometimes when I go and hear other people talk about mental health, I feel like standing up. I feel like standing up in the audience and saying, "How would you know? You know, if you haven't been in that place, how would you know?" And it's no good just talking out of books and saying this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. It's about finding your own journey. I, I don't. I don't tell anybody how to. I give them some clues about what I, what I use, but I never tell anybody because one shoe doesn't fit everybody. You know, you've just got to find your own path, uh, and it's not about simply, you know, being happy. <laughs> Hell, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. You yeah. know, we'd all be happy. It's 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 not. But there's certain things you can apply. Uh, uh, I suppose gratitude is one of those. You know, in, in the sense that. You know, I look at every day now and I, you know, I'll go into my sort of meditation phase and I'm not talking about sitting up in the attic with a Buddhist stick and, you know, humming and that. I'm just talking about, you know, being thankful that I'm that I'm still here, that 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 I'm 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 still I you know, I've things to do and plans to do and, 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 and get doing them. But you know, I know I know my mental health will be a battle for the rest of my life. You know, I've known that I've known that for years. It's not something that just you know, it it comes and goes. Sometimes worse than others. I I've had a, you know, since the since the dark days, I suppose, in the late eighties, I've had a couple of relapses. I suppose when I've gone down that dark avenue again, and 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 that's scary. I think I know now the kind of what's on. I know the triggers because it doesn't always have to be a trigger. But I know I know enough now to 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 get help when I need it. I still feel the judgment. I still feel the judgment uh, from other people and the public, I still feel that they think, you know, at times, oh, I'm glad I'm not Brent Pope, you know, and, and that's tough sometimes. I don't mean glad they're not me for, you know, being on the television. They're glad mm. they're not me having to deal 
uh, with mental health difficulties. But look, that's what I've been saddled with. Maybe in God's world that, you know, maybe maybe I was put here for a purpose and that purpose is, 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 to, is to educate people around mental health and say that it's real and it's scary and it's a it's a frightening place to be, and that yeah we do we 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 have the ability we we all have the ability, John. We all have the ability to save others' lives mm. with compassion, with empathy, with a smile. That smile that you give to somebody, how do you know you're not changing their their world for the better? How do you know that they weren't in a dark place and they were just you know seeking someone to talk to or someone to smile or someone to recognize them? or something, or recognise they were in, in a bad place. How do you know that every day? You don't. So my attitude is that I try to be as kind as I can be uh, to everybody and, and not be judgmental and try to be compassionate. And so that's how I get over things. You know, that's my that's my toolkit, you know. Sport has obviously been a big part of your life and it's a big part in, in, in many Irish people's lives and people worldwide. And there's obviously the to 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 timestamp this podcast where we're we're less than two <laughs> weeks out from the rugby world cup. Just to switch gears for a second. Yes, please do. <laughs> how how excited are you for the World Cup? The Irish team this year, it they're just it just feels a bit different going to this yeah. World Cup. And I know other other years we've gone in maybe eight the year too soon or whatnot, yeah. but there just seems to be a steeliness about yeah. Ireland this year. I think there is, and I think there is, and I'm I'm so goddamn proud of where Irish rugby. When I first came over to, to this country, you know, you wouldn't have even thought you wouldn't have even thought that Ireland would ever beat the All Blacks. Such was the, the the cultural change. I mean, you know, when you're born, when you when you're born. In New Zealand, straight away you're given a rugby ball in your in your in your whatever you call bassinet or whatever like that, and you're sent off to play. And I started playing rugby when I was about four, you know, yeah. down the local Maris Cup. And from that moment on, all you want to do is 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 be an All Black. Every well, no, that's not the case now. Every young man doesn't necessarily want to be an All Black, or every young woman doesn't necessarily want to be a, an All Black. Um, but the changes in Irish rugby have been immense and no more so than than um, Joe Schmidt, Schmidt brought something different to the Irish team and he brought a he, I'm, I'm not saying he brought everything to it because it was a development process through Declan Kidney, Eddie O'Sullivan, Warren Gatlin all these people had, had had some part to play but when Joe came in he gave the Irish team more self-belief, more self-confidence that actually they could do it you know, and as soon as they beat the All Blacks in Chicago, they suddenly had a huge weight lifted off them that we said, "Okay, we're not always the the gallant runners up. We're not always mm-hmm. about oh, we'll give it a, the Irish will give it a whirl for twenty minutes." You know, I played Irish teams before, and that's what you'd always be told: "Oh, they're going to come at you, and they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you for twenty minutes, and then you'll beat them out the gate, and they'll have a have a beer and a, a, with you after." That was what you know. Moral the victories. Yeah, and it was also regarded as an elitist sport when I first came over here. You know, bankers and insurance workers, sons that will play rugby. So once Joe brought that winning culture, and ironically they were brought kicking and screaming into the professional game, when in fact they become the world's blueprint for success in the professional game. But yes, there's a difference in this side because I think that 
they have a firm belief that they can win it. And you've got to have that belief, talking to anybody in the World Cup, you've got to have that self-belief more than anything to know that you can go all the way and you can win it and that's your dream and that desire. Does that mean they'll necessarily win it? No. But you've got to believe, a bit like Roy Keane speak, you've got to believe that you're there to win it. If you go into World Cup thinking, oh, well, you know, a quarterfinal is, is good or to get further than we've ever got before, booey. No, uh, you know, I, I get sick of people saying that to me. Wouldn't it be great if we can get to a semi-final, Brent go where we've never gone before? No. Mm. Players like Johnny Sexton and these players, they want a World Cup winner's medal. It's a bit like having all the world records you like leading up to Olympics and then getting an Olympic bronze medal or something, which is a disappointment. Those elite athletes feel like taking that medal away and throwing it away. And Ireland will feel that way if they don't get to a final. On a final, any, anything can happen. But Ireland should really be targeting a final. Now, that won't be easy because of the draw, as you say. But we've got a, a full squad, apart from Johnny Sexton, who's been wrapped in cotton wool and he, he should remain so for as, as long as they can. You've got players that can step in, just showing last week against England. You know, you've got players like Finley Beatham coming off the bench, making a difference. Young Prendergast fitted in seamlessly. Irish rugby's never had that before. Even in 2019, they didn't, they couldn't back up the, the 15 on the field were fantastic. But then sometimes when you drop, there was a bit of a level of drop when you had to bring the, the subs on. It's going to be tough. Ireland's not only in, there in the pool of death, but they're also in the kind of draw of death because they've got to win those first two matches that are winnable games against Romania and against Tonga. Tonga won't be easy, by the way. Right. And they've got to win them by bonus points because they're not to know what's going to happen in the last games against Scotland or South Africa. They'll know yeah. a bit more because they'll know Scotland plays South Africa first, but they're still must-win games for Ireland. Yeah. And you're going to have to have back up those two games with no injuries, and then you're going to have to go into a quarterfinal realistically against France and New Zealand. You know, The quarterfinal to me is the World Cup final because it's going to probably pair the number one side, Ireland, against either the number two or the number three side at the quarterfinal. Tonga want a big upset, a bit like mm. Japan. Tonga want an upset in this tournament, and they're going to go after Ireland because that'll be that'll you know that would that would send alarm bells ringing around the world if Tonga knocked off Ireland or something. Scotland remain a worry, and they've always remained a worry to me because they'll be desperate to do something, and they're playing well. They've got good camaraderie. They're playing better than the pieces suggest or their players suggest. But the problem with Scotland might be Ireland's problem. Can they keep the same top 15 on the field for those games? We already saw last week the number of incidents. We saw the red cards with England. We saw Dan Sheehan hobble off. Now, he'll be okay. But if that was a game in the World Cup where he only had a week to recover, he might not recover. So, yeah, But all thought. teams face the same thing. If I gave you 50 euro no, who would you who would you put it on? Portugal. Put it up, <laughs> no, I think Portuguese people are always underrating them. The sleeping giants. No, uh, <laughs> there's four teams to meet, uh, but uh, it'll be between France, Ireland, New Zealand, and South Africa, I think. And if you had to, if you had to pick, if you had to pick, if I had to narrow it down to my two, and I, I can only go that far, I think New Zealand or Ireland. I think New Zealand have gone through a few choppy waters. I think they were helped by Ireland beating them last year. They've got a real gnaw about playing Ireland. Uh, they've got some pretty good players, although they seem to have run into a couple of injury problems in the last week or so. But 
I think that Ireland is capable of beating France or New Zealand in the quarterfinal. I, I, I really do. And I think then we'd have to see who makes it from the other side of the draw. The other, the other side of the draw is easy. Teams like England, Wales, Australia, and Argentina are going to get to are going to get probably to a semi final. Then they're going to come back onto the other side of the draw. Mm-hmm. So you could be looking. So a team, a team like Ireland, South Africa, France, and they could actually lose their opening pool matches and still get to a final, a bit like happened in two thousand nineteen. So I'm predicting Ireland and New Zealand. Be too much pressure on France. World Cups aren't easy to win in your own country. France are already. You saw the panic lights go up when Intermac is out. You know. This was front page news in France. This was uh, the first thing on the on on the news. You know, panic stations now. You know, can France still win the World Cup without one player? You know, they're actually one of the most successful sides, never to win one. Mm-hmm. But I just think heavily reliant on Dupont. Uh, all this pressure that'll come into games that they should win. You know. That'll be tough because they're going to face. They're going to. We'll know more after the first game, New Zealand, France versus New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But you know, they're get, they're going to be thinking on the back of their mind too. Is is who do we want at quarterfinal stage? Mm-hmm. And they could be going out. Other years they might have said if they were on the other side of the draw, France would be saying, "Well, hey, we're more or less guaranteed a, 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 an easy route through to the semis, and then we'll see what happens after that." Now they're looking, saying, "Okay, we're realistically going to play." either Ireland or South Africa or something in the quarterfinal. So I'm going with Ireland and New Zealand. And then, fingers crossed, and I say it even though I'm a New Zealander, it's time that Ireland won one year. Um, Brent, I'm obviously a financial advisor by profession, so it would be it would be remiss of me to not ask you some financial questions. Best, and I know money isn't yeah. important to you, but best and worst financial decision. Probably, probably the same as anybody else. Buying a property, in a sense, I keep telling young people now, why, why, why is a culture a bit like New Zealand? Are you so intent on shelling out all this money to buy a house? In some regards, you know, it might be other different advice, but I'm sort of giving it from even a kind of a philosophical way. Is that why not like other countries, just live where you want to live? If that's in the town centre, if it's out by the lake, or if it's by the sea, or something like that, pay the rent and put that all in part of your what you have to pay each year for your kind of, I suppose, earnings. And say, yeah, you know, I hear all these people saying, oh, you know, I want to get on the property ladder, and I say, where are you living? Oh, we're living out in the sticks or whatever, and I've got a, a three-hour commute into into town mm. on a busy night, and life's miserable. You know, I was just talking to a young guy there recently, and he said, oh. He said, I was happy in, 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 in town renting. And then he said, you know, he said, we had a great lifestyle. And he said, then I was pressured into getting a, a home out. And somebody said, so I brought out the sticks. And he said, I hate it. Brent. He said, I hate that lifestyle. And he said, I miss it. So, you know, because when I, when I bought, I, 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 I sold high, but I bought high. Because I, I thought that, okay, look, my, my house is, I had a little cottage that I'd done up in Rings End. And suddenly I thought, wow, you know, someone's going to pay 600,000 euros or something for a two-bed semi-D in what was probably, you know, regarded as kind of an up-and-coming area, but it was it was no different to a lot of those areas like Portobello and those things. What I should have done is bank that money, or I should have I should have maybe <laughs> sent it back to New Zealand. I don't know what I should have done with it. But then I went and bought it. I thought, no, you know, I've always been told, because I was a quantity surveyor, that was part of my lifestyle too and so you know i know a bit about property so i thought no 
stretch yourself out a bit financially and buy something else. I bought a, a place in Blackrock, which I, which I love. Given the stamp duty you paid at that time, given the money I had to pay for the extensions, I'm 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 still not I'm still not back. Even though people say property's going up, I'm still not back. To, it still doesn't owe me what I paid for it. So if I took and I've been in this house what 15, 15 years. If I'd taken those savings for fifteen years, you might be able to tell me more. <laughs> invested them, invested them somewhere else. Yeah. Wouldn't I have been better off financially? You're definitely right. There's an obsession with property in Ireland. There's no two ways about it. And no matter how how often people get burnt. It just seems to be like it's insatiable. They want to go back and, and do it again. Like, you know, it just seems to be that, like bricks and mortar. And whilst it can work out well for some people, unfortunately, I would have had many clients who overstretched and uh, are, are still, even to this day, even though proper quests have come back. But it was, and, always, it was always what you were told, wasn't it? Bricks oh, and yeah, mortar. bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar, yeah. I mean, like, but you what know, do you say now to me? I'll throw the question back to you. I, you know, but, but, but this is not an advice. I might actually call you afterwards or something at some stage. But... You see, there's no people always either property or put the money kind of like the old term, put the money under the bed, under the mattress. Mm. Where do people invest now? Like if they've got a yeah. few bob or something yeah. like that, there's yeah. no it, you go no return from the banks. You, you know, interest. You know, in my in, in my role, what we try and do basically, I suppose, is like proper financial planning. So we try and take a kind of a, a life centered approach. So when you were talking there about like you know people having three hour commutes, so what we try and do is get to know the client first and say, look, what's important to you? And yeah. if it's and if it's important to them to, you know, be at the home more, have a better workplace balance, well, then you start from that and then you kind of flesh out the advice. Like money just kind of fills whatever vacuum you give it. So the more space you give it, the, the more you, you will spend. So sometimes, you know, if you have a proper financial plan, people can actually realize that they're a way better off than they are. And, you know, people... Some people need a hundred grand a year to break even for their lifestyle. Some people need twenty. That's just a hard fact of the matter. But it's whatever is important to you. So that's where we kind of take it from. Is like we start off with tell us about you and what's important to you, and then we work out the advice from there. It, it it shouldn't be about sales. It should be about what the client wants. So that's the first point, and then you work out the plan around that. Absolutely. Rather than just saying, "Okay, Brent, you you need a pension." And you need life cover. I need this, this, and this. It's like no, no, no. What do you want? I want to go on more holidays. I want to spend more time in down in my holiday home in Kerry. I want to put my kids through college. Okay, well, they're your they're your financial goals. So let's make a plan to help you achieve those goals. It makes no, it makes sense, and I like that. I like I like that approach. I'd have to say because you know, as we get older, my advice to people is you know, I know it's easy to say again. In, in my situation but please don't wait around you know please don't mm. you know please don't stockpile for for something that i'm not saying you go out and be flahulock or whatever you know with, 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 there's me speaking irish by the way yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> i'm not saying you go out and buy a, a lamborghini or something tomorrow mm. but please you know mental health wise allow yourself some little treats yeah, you know, that you'd absolutely. like to get to. Have those yeah. as part of your goal, not just to have a, a million dollars in a pension account by the time you're 70 or something, because by the time you come around to see, I get so many people saying to me, John, look, you know, I've got this great pension coming in, um, plenty of money coming in, I'm 75, 
I only need a bottle of wine once a week. I've got my Leinster the, the season tickets mm -hmm. uh, or Munster season tickets, a couple of holidays a year. That's me done. Mm -hmm. So what they want to do at 75 isn't what they want to do at 55, mm -hmm. you know, because... Well, what we say is two things to our clients. Uh, live now, but plan for the future. Yeah. And second thing is have a sunny day and a rainy day for them. Absolutely. So while, while it's important to have the... The, the God forbid scenarios yeah. looked after, you also have to have the money yeah. to do something that you enjoy. Treat, like, go, go treat yourself with a Pope shirt or a pair of Pope exactly. shirts. Exactly. Treat yourself. You've, Very smart advice. Invest in a good shirt. That'll be, that'll be, I hope you'll be telling all your clients that. Brent, you've been so good with your time. So I'm going to wrap yeah. it up with a final question. How would you like to be remembered? I don't care if somebody would come to my funeral and say, he was a great rugby player. I, I, I don't care. What I care about is that somebody would come along and say, oh, what I'm most proud of, he was a kind man. You know, yeah. and, and, and I'll sum it up with that. You know, because that that is what keeps me going because I'm not about BS. I'm not about having to be someone else, but I am a kind person. You know, and I'd like to be remembered as someone that was kind, somebody that gave back not only to people that, he loved or cared about, but to other people, gave back to community, gave back to, to country, gave back to something. That's my kind of, I'm not a, I'm not a religious man, but I always wanted to think that I lived my life in a, in a godly way, if that makes sense. I'll be judged like everybody else come judgment day, but I'd like to, whoever's making that judgment to say, well, he was always about kindness first, you know. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed it too. So, Thank you Thanks. very much for the platform and uh, really appreciate it. Please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much.